Learning agendas have become a popular buzzword in government. Individual agencies are working on their own learning agendas to be published next spring, and now the Biden administration is launching a new learning agenda, part of his emerging president's management agenda. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco joins me now to explain what this all means and how federal employees, the private sector, and anybody else can weigh in. Nicole, let's begin with the beginning. What exactly is a learning agenda? Yeah, so learning agendas are definitely becoming more popular in government lately, and that's partly because they're a requirement under the 2018 Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act. And basically, they outline sort of key questions, uh, research prompts, or other areas that an agency is interested in sort of focusing its agenda for, you know, a given period of time. So it's meant to spur sort of reaction and feedback and comments from the public, from researchers, academia. And that's essentially what the Biden administration is launching this time, except it's focused solely on the president's management agenda and the three broad priorities that uh, the administration is interested in. So basically, a learning agenda answers the question, and not to sound cynical, but what do we need to learn and when do we need to learn it? Yeah. And how and how should we implement X, Y and Z? I think those are all questions that uh, a learning agenda is supposed to get after and that the Biden administration is interested in here with its PMA. So which pillar of the PMA then does this add to and what is it they're actually hoping to launch here in respect to the PMA? So it adds on to all three of those pillars that the PMA outlines. And as a reminder, those are strengthening the federal workforce, creating secure and equitable federal customer services and managing the business of government better. So what the Office of Management and Budget has done here is they have essentially laid out a variety of questions that they're asking associated with each of those three broad priorities. They have published this draft learning agenda on performance.gov, and they're saying that anyone, federal employees included, members of the private sector, researchers, plus anyone from local, state, or tribal government can comment on these questions, give their own feedback, maybe their own ideas, And OMB says that it will incorporate that feedback into a final learning agenda, which will come out later this year. And you might ask, okay, well, what is the point? Uh, This is the first PMA learning agenda. I don't think any other administration has launched one of these before. And OMB says they believe that it will help agencies kind of collaborate across all of these priorities in a better way. We haven't seen cross-agency priority goals just yet, but they acknowledge that while agencies are working on their own agendas, A lot of this will intermingle and, you know, connect with other agencies and what they're doing. And so they see this as a way to accomplish that goal, as well as to maybe spur research and innovation across a, you know, broader sector besides just the federal public sector. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. And I guess in some sense, the need for, as they put it, more equitable and higher quality digital services or customer experience 
will form the basis for a lot of cross-agency priority goals. The administration basically said as much in what we know now about that agenda item. And what about the public here? How can they contribute to this? And what do they mean by the public? So the, yes, that's true. It, it really does mean the public. It means federal employees. It means um, members of the private sector. And I'm sure the private sector will have a lot of thoughts and ideas when they see some of these questions in particular. It means academics. It means members of state, local, and tribal governments. Um, you know, OMB, I think, is interested in things that maybe other governments are doing and that they've learned that they might be able to, to apply to some of their own management work here. So uh, the public has until January 31st to provide feedback through a performance.gov survey form, uh, which is linked in our story online, and, and you can see more about it there. And for its learning agenda, then what sorts of questions is the administration asking? So I think the questions are maybe the most interesting part of this draft learning agenda. So when it comes to the federal workforce piece, the Biden administration says it's interested in anything from what kinds of hiring assessments should they use to bring on new talent? How can they better connect with applicants and give them a better experience during that long federal hiring process that we talk so much about. They want to know how they can better collect feedback from federal employees to understand how they're feeling about certain things and throughout different parts of the year. Right now, the main mechanism is the federal employee viewpoint survey, but are there other ways, maybe like those poll surveys the administration launched, launched earlier this year, that they can get more feedback from the workforce. On the customer service side, they want to know what best practices are out there for reducing administrative burden, and especially how they can reduce administrative burden on those who come from underserved communities. Interestingly enough, I thought this question was, was very, very interesting. They ask, how can minimizing administrative bur burdens also improve upon objectives of minimizing improper payments and strengthening program integrity. So combining all kinds of priorities that we talk about here, Tom. Um, just a couple other questions I'll, I'll just mention if I can. They want to know what the best ways of measuring public trust are in government specifically and with government services. Is it the time that it takes to get feedback from an agency? Is it the, you know, the reaction that they had on the phone with a member of uh, that agency. So these are the kinds of things that they're they're after here. I wonder if a more effective approach to this might be putting those learning agenda questions on the websites that agencies offer to the public by those agencies that are frequented by the public. Social Security, maybe CMS, but probably more likely, you know, the individual Medicaid, Medicare sites, if that's the case and so on, Veterans Affairs Department, the ones, the, the retail agencies, if you will, any plan to do that so that they can make sure that the public even sees the questions in the first place? So two things going on here. One, agencies are developing their own learning agendas, and those are supposed to be due in spring, this coming spring. Um, and it's unclear if the public will actually be able to comment on those specifically or if they'll just be able to view them. I think it is the the second option there. But there is some um, cross-pollination here between these two efforts. And individual agencies, I think, will get their their own spotlight, so to say. Another thing that I think the administration is doing, and we sort of saw this in that customer experience executive order and some of the dialogue that's out there on that topic I'm not sure they see the public as 
being incredibly interested in individual initiatives at specific agencies. I think they're after more of a big picture approach with some of this work, acknowledging that maybe someone who is 65 and retiring isn't necessarily thinking about an individual service that they might get at the Social Security Administration or elsewhere. They're just thinking about what they need and when they can get it and how easy that experience is. And so I think that's maybe what we're seeing here from this particular approach. And just a quick update on the president's management agenda. We got the framework a couple of weeks ago, a few, couple of months ago, really. A couple of weeks ago, they fleshed out the customer experience of the three components. Any idea when it's going to be 2022 at this point, it looks like the rest of the detail will flesh out the PMA? I think that's going to be a moving timeline a little bit. I think we're going to see bits and pieces over the next couple of weeks and months. At least that's what the Biden administration said when it released that initial vision. I guess it was mid-November now. So I think that's what they're after here. I would imagine that we're going to see more um, on specific cross-agency priority goals, how multiple agencies will work on one thing, and even some names as to who in government is going to lead up some of those individual projects. All right. So while everyone else is enjoying eggnog and family Christmas cheer, those White House staffers will be working late on the next components of the PMA. I'm sure, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) That's life in the fast lane. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. 
Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. 
Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Winter season is here, and Discount Tire wants you to stay safe on the road. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at DiscountTire.com. Discount Tire, let's get you taken care of. Let's get you taken care of. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.